Welcome back to Classic Movies Live. And this is going to be our like midway point of season three of this show. This ha- this is our year in review for 2021. It has been a goddamn hell of a year. I think, Pierre, that I maybe have watched more movies this year than perhaps any other year. I would say the opposite for me, I think. I mean, movie theaters were closed for a long time, right? I think even this year, so... Yeah. I definitely have been struggling with watching movies. I'm excited for... When, I, when I'm done with school, I feel like I can watch a lot more movies randomly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, right now, I just never watch movies at school, so uh, it's tough to keep up. And the only movies I watch are basically the blockbusters, so... Well, um, I'm excited for, like... I've been watching a lot of movies just in preparation for the Oscars that are still like three or four months away. But I know that this is about when you start watching movies for the Oscars too sometimes. And I mean, I've, I've seen a lot that I'm very excited for you to see as well. And I'm just excited to talk about them, but there are so many movies that realistically we are not going to get to. Yeah. Well, for me, there's not many other movies I care to see. I was looking at like, I looked at a list of top movies of 2021 um, to see like, oh, maybe there's a movie here that I should have seen um, that maybe I'll watch later or before this. But I was like, ah, it's not really any I really care to watch at this moment, honestly, other than like Pig. But unfortunately, since our last episode, not nearly enough time has passed that you have seen Pig. But exactly. Yeah. You know what? At this point, I'm going to bring this up at least once an episode. And we're going to check in to see if you've seen Pig. Whatever our <laughs> next episode is after this, maybe okay. a spontaneous Pig review in addition to whatever we're doing. That'd be very awkward, but yes. <laughs> if I haven't seen it at least. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Maybe our next episode is Pig. I don't know that for certain, but it's possible. I guess, yes, neither of us will know for sure. Until We'll see. Uh, so last year we did a top five and I wanted to do that same thing again. And we're going to do that again. But instead of just launching right into it, I want to ask, like, what have you thought of movies this year? Like, in general, what have you seen? You know, uh, not great. <laughs> I think I'll, I was I've been disappointed a lot this year in terms of what I've seen. Um, there are some surprises, though, which is nice. Um, but yeah, also, I, I, I don't know. I also thought last year was disappointing. But I mean, like, maybe I'm just becoming a cynic. I don't know. Uh, movie yeah. wise. Because also, like, I remember 2019 being one of the best years of movies. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's happening to me. But, uh, yeah, I, I think there were... This is probably the most surprising year of movies for me. I, I've been surprised a lot, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, this year, I started a Letterboxd account. You can follow me over at letterboxd.com slash Gothenburgtown with a G-O-T-H-E-N-E-U-R-G-T-O-W-N. That's spelled out for everyone. Uh, But anyway, I started a Letterboxd account this year, and I was surprised by how many five stars I gave. It wasn't like a huge, huge amount, but considering I consider one a big deal, I think I gave like five this year, maybe a little more than that. And like, I wasn't expecting to like that many movies that much. I was pleasantly surprised in general, though the thing that I always care the most about animation i was like negatively surprised this year there was not that much that much in the way of animated movies that i really liked this year 
Luckily, I am going to be talking about one animated movie when we go through our top five. So it's not a total wash, but the big ones are obviously the Disney movies, the various Disney movies and like the big studios. There was Luca this year, which was good, but I didn't really resonate (laughs) with me. There was Encanto, which I thought was messy for as many... It it had some good things about it, but I thought it was kind of messy. Raya and the Last Dragon was great, actually. I have nothing bad oh to say God. about it. <laughs> I forgot about that movie completely. <laughs> I was sorry. Keep going. Mitchell's versus the Machines came out on Netflix earlier this year by Sony. Uh, same same people who made the Lego Movie and Into the Spider Verse. Unfortunately, I think this is their weakest one. I don't Mm. think this was that good. Especially, it gets really manipulative at the end, which is something I just hate in movies in general. And then, of course, there was some some real trash. I saw a movie called CryptoZoo, which is just, oh, awful. (laughs) And then I saw, like, The Boss Baby 2, which, I mean, it's a little better than CryptoZoo, but it was intensely worse than the first Boss Baby, and I didn't even like that movie. So... I really don't know what you expected. I don't know why I watched it. It was on a list. And so <laughs> I watched, I'm trying to watch through that list. And that list also led me to the Adams Family 2, which is just one of the worst movies. <laughs> I watched that movie and it made oh me reevaluate God. so many movies that I hated this year. I'm like, you know what? They actually probably weren't that bad compared to mm. this. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to sit here and list off every single movie I hated because I, in general, liked this year and I like to stay positive. Mm, of course. But Pierre, do you want to either talk about what you hated or like about more movies this year? I guess you didn't see as many movies as me and we've already talked about that. So I don't want to keep putting you on the spot if you've got nothing you want to <laughs> say. Just... No, I, I guess like, I, I mean, in terms of, yeah, animated movies, you're right. That was very disappointing. Um, in terms of, blockbuster movies i think also very disappointing like i thought a lot of i mean i hate to mention it but a lot of the marvel movies that came out a lot of the marvel content this year is actually i think aggressively like mediocre and uh a lot of like potentially like cool movies like i was gonna see a couple movies as i was excited for like i was gonna watch the wes anderson movie but i heard that came out and it was like not great um so i just haven't seen it yet even though I wanted to. Same thing with like both Ridley Scott movies. I was going to watch them, but then I heard they were pretty bad. So I didn't watch those either. I definitely insist on us doing an episode on one of oh, those yeah. Ridley Scott movies. It's, it's the Last Duel, movie. right? Or something? It'll happen. Is that the one? I can't point, remember. Yeah, The Last Duel. It'll yeah. happen. But at this point, like no plans on the horizon. And I don't think it's one we need to cover before the Oscars. So maybe that's something we do in the summer. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how much fun we're willing to have. (laughs) I like how you just, you don't think you need to talk about it for the Oscars. I mean, (laughs) passive aggressive way of saying it. I mean, I guess it's not. Well, there's a couple of movies going into the Oscars that I think also have. So yeah, sure. I I will say right now, I don't think the last duels has any Oscar shot at all. But there are some movies that we were talking about privately that, like, realistically, I think they will be well represented at the Oscars, but I don't know if it makes sense for us to do a whole episode on them. For example, West Side Story. Will we talk about it? Inevitably. Will we talk about it at length? I don't know yet. Mm. And then there's a couple of other ones like that that, like, I think they'll be at the Oscars. I hope they'll be at the Oscars. I don't know what our episode plan looks like yet, so, like, Hard to say whether or not we will talk about yeah. some of the things that will be going to the Oscars at length. 
Yeah. Oh, last night at Soho. Sorry, this is I want to say last night at Soho. I was expecting to be really good, but it wasn't. And uh, oh, don't look up. I want to say that. I guess we I shouldn't say too much because we haven't talked about it yet. But we are going to talk at length about Don't Look Up. But that was another movie I was expecting to be very good due to its talent behind the camera and and before the camera. Actually, mostly before the camera. I'd say Leonardo DiCaprio is a usually a really good sign of a movie having a lot of potential. Yeah, I was wondering when you said behind the camera, because at least for me, yeah. is very hit or miss. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, now, I, I, I have, a, I had a lot of faith with him. I still have a lot of faith in him, or I had a lot of faith in him, because I just thought, you know, Vice was a, a misstep, but it, it was not a misstep. This is just, <laughs> <laughs> I think he was just really lucky with the big short. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that at length here in an upcoming episode because we've got that For all sure. planned out, ready to go. But yeah, I guess. Top hey, five or honorable yeah, mentions without, first? Without further ado, let's do some real quick honorable mentions. First off, very quick one sentence reviews. This does not have to be your honorable mention yet. Is there anything that could have made it into your list, but it didn't and you just want to give a very quick shout out to? Pig, because <laughs> I haven't seen it. I think Pig's going to be really good. Oh, and maybe, like, what's that movie? It's Belfast. I thought I admire as a movie, but I, I think it tells an interesting tale. I just didn't care for it personally. Mm -hmm. But I respect it, if that makes sense. There you go. For me, I just want to shout out two movies that I gave perfect five-star ratings to. Mass, which is a movie, without spoiling anything, about four people in a room talking. And it is... It includes four of the year's best performances by just a mile. I really hope that in one of our upcoming Oscars episodes, we get to talk about Jason Isaac in Mass because I think he may have been the one, he was definitely one of possibly the best performance of this entire year. I want to call attention to Mass. If you have the opportunity to see it, please do. Be warned, it is very, very heavy. The other movie that I want to give like a quick one sentence review to that, again, I think we will come back to eventually, Spencer. I, I think that media in general has horrifically exploited the death of Princess Diana. And with that said, Spencer is actually a very, very good Princess Diana movie that I don't think is exploitative. And it features Kristen Stewart in probably her best performance ever. So please go and see that if you can. I think that's available to get rent on YouTube, actually. So, like, definitely go see Spencer if you can. I was very lucky in that it was playing in Toronto the first week I moved here. So I went and saw it in the Tiff Bell Lightbox Theater. But yeah, those are two movies I wanted to give a quick shout out to. Now, Pierre, we have both prepared lists of five movies and a runner-up that didn't qualify for that list for... Any of a number of reasons. Would you like to start with your runner-up? Uh, I'd say Godzilla versus Kong. That was this year, right? Yep. So double check. Yeah, it was this year. It feels so long ago. We need Kong. The world needs him. Godzilla will come for him. Yeah, I really... I thought Godzilla versus Kong, despite being really stupid and nonsensical... Uh, was pretty fun and even though I can't remember anything to do with like the the human cast members I really like Godzilla and King Kong fighting and I, I liked how freaky they got with the franchise and they 
kind of did away with the gritty realness of uh, the first two Godzilla movies. And I guess Kong as well. I, I didn't like any of those other movies that much, but this one was really just fun um, and felt like they really owned this goofiness of and nonsensicalness of like the whole like, what was it? A world underneath this world thing just literally makes no sense at all. But I love how like they really own it and like try to make it make sense. Yeah, there's so many memorable moments in that movie. If the human parts kind of lived up more to the main plot, then I this would definitely be one of my favorite movies of the year. But I literally, I, I could not tell you what happens other than I think they spill coffee on the console to stop Mechagodzilla for half a second. Um, which was this like fulfillment of that plot line? Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's all I remember. I think if the humans just weren't in that movie, I would have liked it a lot better. But like, you're right, the fights are pretty fun. I uh, didn't like that movie, but it did have good action. And I yeah. think that like I heard it described once as I can't remember who described it this way, but I heard it described once as like a kid fighting two action figures against each other in the bathtub or something, and like. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah literally. It's fun. Uh, I just want to give another... Can I have two, a second honorable mention, if I may? Please? Go for it. Yeah. I'll say No Time to Die. I think there's a lot of moments in that movie I really like, and I admire it from, a, I guess, a technical perspective, and killing James Bond at the end was really cool. Yeah, I guess I should mention here, potentially full spoilers for anything oh, yeah, we sorry. talk about. I, I messed up. <laughs> I think that movie would also be on this list if not for various issues that I will not get into. Mostly to do with the villain and the main plot, which doesn't make a lot of sense from what I remember. But yeah. I'm hoping that I get the chance to rewatch that movie. Like I want to go back through and watch all the Daniel Craig movies and then rewatch that movie because actually a friend of mine pointed out it was really funny when he was listening to our episode on No Time to Die there's one part in the episode where we both simultaneously realize we missed the first five minutes of the movie. Mm. <laughs> and like those five minutes are super important. I have, I, I have heard. Oh, they I are. Really like to, yeah. They're extremely oh. important. They introduced oh, never the villain. Mind. If you had issues with the villain, apparently there's a chance that those first five minutes might alleviate your issues. I don't think entirely. I, I doubt but it. But yeah. Yeah. I want to give it another chance for that reason. Sure, that's fair. I think I will watch it at, like eventually again too. Probably with like a, I do like a full saga run of the James Bond franchise. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it just it wasn't really good enough to to warrant. It was more. It was, it's a good farewell. I appreciate it for being a farewell. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's basically it. And some of the action scenes were kind of cool. Do you hear that, Dakota? We did in fact like No Time to Die. There you, you don't go. Be mad at us anymore. <laughs> Um, those are my honorable mentions. What's yours? So my honorable mention is actually my favorite movie of the year. But the thing is, it's my favorite movie that I saw this year. But technically, it doesn't release until next year. Because I mm. saw this movie at the Toronto International Film Festival, the online version. And it did not have a release in 2021. So I considered... So I bumped it off of my list so that I could include only movies from 2021. Uh, my honorable mention is a movie called Official Competition. Venga, vamos allá. Vale, preparados. Acción. Toda la suerte, compañero. Te hará falta. Pretenciosa, viciosa, 
Ya, relaja, Lola, pero es que con esto... No cortes. Cartagena. Y no es la primera vez que yo trabajo con un idiota. This is one of the funniest movies I have ever seen. It's a Spanish movie about... Uh, the main plot is a billionaire is worried that he's going to be... That the, his, his defining achievement in life is going to be that he was a billionaire who exploited his workers and he wants to be known for something other for something that's not inherently bad. So what he does is he, he gets the best movie director in Spain casts the two bet, the two biggest movie stars in Spain and like buys the rights to a Nobel prize winning novel and bankrolls an entire movie to like win awards And it's all about the making of this movie. It stars Antonio Banderas, Penelope Cruz, and Oscar Martinez as the people making this movie. Penelope Cruz is the director, and she's like a very kind of spacey modern artist. She wants to do a really interesting take on this novel and adapt it in a really artsy way. Oscar Martinez is like, He, he's like an actor's actor. He was brought up traditionally through acting and he teaches acting and he has a like extremely high opinion of himself. He's super pretentious. And Antonio Banderas is like, I'm going to say like a Robert Downey Jr. type. He's been in a lot of movies. He's very good. He's very well known, but he's the franchise guy. And him and Oscar Martinez are constantly at odds. Like half of this movie is just a prank war between their two characters. I got to see this movie again so it's fresh in my mind. I would love to talk about this movie on the podcast at some point. It is hilarious. It's just like, I, I don't know how else to talk about this movie other than that is that it is incredible. There's my honorable mention. I don't want to spend too much time on it because we're going to spend a lot of time on these next 10 movies we're going to talk about. But if you have the opportunity to see Official Competition when it comes out in 2022... Official Competition is my favorite movie that I saw this year, and it will be released. So anyway, now let's go into our actual top fives. Do you want to start it, or do you want sure. me to start it? Uh, I'll go first. All my right. fifth movie is uh, The Suicide Squad. Robert Dubois. He's going Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. I'm not joining your damn Suicide Squad. We'll see. We failed the mission. You die. What was that? Love him or hate him. Nom nom. These are your brothers and sisters. A guy that wears a toilet seat on his head. It's not a toilet seat. It's a beacon of freedom. I thought it was a very cool blockbuster movie. It was cool to see, I guess, kind of James Gunn doing his thing with complete creative control. I think there were some aspects of it where, I mean, I feel like that's with any James Gunn movie. I feel like I can't have the best of James Gunn's moments without the worst James Gunn moments, mm -hmm. um, which is unfortunate because I think when he's at his, when he hits those moments in his movies, it's really, really good. You know, I think one of my favorite movies this year was Ratcatcher 2's, uh, and at the end of her arc where she, she activates the thing and all the rats come out of the sewers and attack. The giant starfish. When I say it out loud, it sounds really bad. <laughs> But, you know, like it was it was a really emotional uh, moment. And yeah, just overall, it's like a really 
it's a really fun movie. You know, I, I think despite some plot elements not being great, and I wish they kind of changed up a couple things. Uh, it's, it is, it is, it is like one of the most fun movie experiences I've had this year, or yeah, probably the most or second most fun movie experience I've had this year. And it was just, yeah, it was cool to see a, a good iteration of the Suicide Squad, I guess, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell. So yeah, and uh, yeah. yeah. We talked about that one at length. I thought that was like the best John Cena movie of the year. And I am starting to really like John Cena, John Cena's roles. I don't know if I like him as an actor yet. I think he's really fun. I don't know what I think of him as an actor yet, except that I enjoy seeing him in movies. I think if he has the right role, he's great. Mm -hmm. I mean, after watching Fast 9, though, I think that really turned me off of him because it was just such a a meh um, role for him in the movie. But anyways... Fast Nine's not on my list. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, what's your fifth? So my number five, this is going to be a very controversial choice. And it's actually one that you said in the last episode. I think in the last episode. No, it's possible no. you said it off camera that you didn't want to see. The Matrix oh. Resurrections. Thomas? You seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. Wow, okay. I loved this movie. So The Matrix Resurrections is like extremely meta. I think the first thing that I should say is I have never seen a movie that was clearly so hated by its own director that I still thought worked. And Lana Wachowski does not like the fact that she's making Matrix Resurrections. Like Mm. this movie, this movie has like digs at Warner Brothers. It has digs at the very idea of sequels and reboots it does bring in the Matrix lore and like expands on it in interesting ways, but it's mostly a meta commentary on like the creation of art and the exploitation of art by corporations, essentially. And like, well, I'm not going to say it's mostly that. The most interesting aspects of it are that. The first act of it is entirely that because it starts out with Neo in what is essentially the reality that he would be in if he took the blue pill. And you don't know at the start, like, is this really reality or is this something else or what's going on? And it's kind of interesting because, like, it literally, his character arc at the beginning is he's a famous game designer who created a a trilogy of games called The Matrix way back in the day. And they revolutionized gaming. And now his parent company, Warner Brothers, wants him to reboot the series and he doesn't want to do it. And it's very on the nose. It is not subtle at all. But like, I think one thing that you will hopefully that you will probably like realize is a recurring theme even throughout this list. I like it when things are extremely blunt as long as like I think they're doing okay with it. I don't like it when the director treats me like an idiot, but if it's very clear what the director is trying to say, I don't care if they beat me over the head with it. And that's what the Matrix Resurrections does. And I think that in particular, 
I think Neil Patrick Harris is an incredible character in it. He's Ooh. a new addition and he has a fantastic role. Similar to, I remember last year, my number five pick was Wonder Woman 1984. I still like that movie. I know that's not a popular opinion anymore. I don't think it was at the time. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so with The Matrix Resurrections as well, this is a movie that's very polarizing at best. IGN, I think, said that it will go down in history and be widely remembered specifically for how bad it is. I do not think this. I think it's very good. And I actually like the way that its messaging works out. Not only can I say not everyone will, I think that in general, this is a movie that, you know, most people will probably find very bad. But I thought that it was full of merit and I wanted to have a controversial pick at the end. Just in addition to this actually does make my, I have a lot of movies in my top however many, but it's up there. I, I thought mm. when I watched this movie, I gave it a solid eight out of 10. I don't think it would go down much if I watched it again. So there's my That's controversial cool. number five pick. Mm, okay. I respect your opinion, I guess. I Now I kind of want to watch it. I, I like how you said she hated making it. I've heard, I mean, honestly, I can't blame her considering I feel like that's the Matrix. I feel like the Matrix is like the only movie the Wachowskis will be allowed to make at this point because everything they've else they've made bombed, has bombed really hard um, for the past few years. So being forced in that into that position probably isn't that fun. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah. Well, I think like I saw third or fourth hand. I didn't actually see the interview, but I heard somewhere that in an interview, she said Warner Brothers was going to make this with me or without me. So oh, okay, yeah. you know, they, they basically strong-armed her into it. And I think she really made the most of that. I think mm -hmm. that under any other director, this movie would have been hot garbage. And That's some true. may argue that it still is hot garbage, but I think that this is infinitely better than whatever any other director would have made. It's the best of the hot garbage. Okay, my number four is uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Do you want to talk about that, kiss? That? Hey, yeah. Hi. Wow. That's Dan, right? It's Dan. That was going to be awesome. Hey! Sorry, no, no, not my type. You broke Eddie's heart. Oh, she's a charmer. Hi, baby. That is so hot! You may look like we are going to a wedding. Will that be kind of pissed? You bet your ass. Gifts first. Actually, traditionally. Shut your mouth, father. Whoa. Whoa. Oh no. You just said that you loved me. Um, you did. Yeah. Oh, yes. I really like this movie. Um I've seen it, I think, actually three times since it came out. And I've never been bored watching it. Um obviously there's like I think some really cringy plot elements, but it's just it's just really funny to watch. And I think like I just really like it because it it's very unique. I mean, it kind of sucks to say like, oh, the superhero movie is so unique, but I guess it really sticks out given the current climate of superhero movies and that um, I, I think the relationship between Eddie Brock and Venom isn't, isn't actually, well, that relationship is also something you I've never 
scene because it's weird having like you're basically talking to your psyche the whole time but yeah and i I think they really owned a lot of what made venom one good and brought it to the forefront and just kind of embraced a lot of the really stupid stuff and yeah it was just it's been enjoyable every time i've seen it and it's a movie that doesn't take itself seriously at all so uh, i liked it a lot and when you're saying that like it's it's different from other superhero movies. I think that like it's kind of a meme to say this, but I think what makes this movie stand out a lot is well, as you said, the relationship dynamic between the characters, but it plays out very similarly to a romantic comedy. And like there are no superhero romantic comedies that I can even like I can't think of one. And this one is the closest to that. And I think it's very effective at that, that that relationship between them is really well done in my opinion. Yeah. I mean like that whole, that whole fight scene with Venom and Eddie in the apartment, I think is just so every time I watch it, it's just hilarious. Cause it's just like a big part of me. Is just like, what the hell am I watching? Like when I, when I first heard there was going to be a Venom movie, I didn't think I'd see like, one of those classic relationship fight scenes, you know? And again, that's only like the way they did that scene is only the Venom franchise can do that because of the way they've formed these characters and their, their dynamic, not just like in terms of their relationship, but like their physical dynamic of Venom literally inhabits Eddie's body is, is really cool. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And honestly, I didn't think I would say this, but I'm, I'm actually really happy. They split off the Venom franchise and I'm excited to see uh, Venom 3 <laughs> because this is like a whole, this this direction I guess they've taken with the character is something Marvel never would have done. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, it's cool to see a new, like, I guess a whole different aspect of Venom, the character. So yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. And it's uh, it's cool to see a new side of Eminem too, who keeps doing songs for these movies. Yeah. They keep them on board. Yeah. <laughs> I will say the new Venom song is actually like I on I the the one by Little Sims. I shouted her out in the uh, in our Venom episode, but I did like her song for Venom. And unironically, it wasn't a it wasn't this isn't like an Eminem like Venom song where you kind of unironically like it. But yeah. So like I do want to say with the first Venom movie, I do unironically like that Eminem song. Oh, so I also I I also love how much of a meme it is. Like I <laughs> I just unironically like a lot of memes, but like with this new Venom movie, I thought the Lil Sims song was really, really good. And the the new Eminem song was fine. Like it, mm. it's okay. I don't hate it, but the new Lil Sims song is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so check it out. I will. Okay. I will say the, the Venom, the chorus is catchy. You know, I can't deny that. Mm-hmm. So I will, res- I respect the first Venom theme song, I guess from Eminem. So talking about musicians is actually going to bring me, bring us into my number four pick. Pierre, are you familiar with the, with the artist St. Vincent? Nope. Okay. She's a uh, rock musician. I don't actually know very much about her because I, I listened to a couple of albums of hers way in the, way back in the day, but like, I've never been a big fan. However, she recently released a movie that she co-wrote called The Nowhere In, which is my number four. It was supposed to be a music documentary. Concert footage, interviews, you know. I wanted people to know who I really am. You get it? Yep. 
One of the reasons why I wanted to make a documentary in the first place is because I would finally be in control of the narrative. A small part of me was starting to second-guess myself. Why was the movie never completed? Never completed? Never completed? All I can say is that somewhere along the way, things went terribly wrong. This movie is awesome. It is definitely more surreal than The Matrix Resurrections, but I would say that those two together, like The Nowhere In and The Matrix Resurrections, are the most surreal movies I've seen this year. Like the most weird, batshit insane movies I've seen. The Nowhere In is framed kind of as a documentary in that the outer framing device is St. Vincent talking about how this tour documentary that was being made by her friend about her fell apart. And then inside of that, there's another framing device of her friend is making this tour documentary about her. But the problem is that she's trying to make it real, trying to make it raw. So like she gets concert footage, but then she also like wants to like get footage of what uh, St. Vincent or Annie Clark, as her actual name is, is like behind the scene. What her and her bandmates do on the bus, what makes her interesting, what makes her tick. Problem is, Annie Clark is very normal. After each show, she's pretty tired, so she goes back and just like takes it easy for the rest of the night. When her friend is asking her bandmates what's cool about her, they're like, uh, her music. It's like, no, they are, the other guys already said that. Oh, okay. Um, her music. It's like, they, they just... It would be very wrong to say that there's nothing interesting about her or her bandmates, but clearly whatever approach the documentarian is using to try and get what is interesting about them is not working. So at one point she's just like, hey, why don't you just emphasize your stage persona a little bit, even when you're off stage, when you're on camera. And from there, St. Vincent starts really overdoing it to the point where near by the end of the movie, it's like hard to tell what's actually reality and who she is and who like anyone is because she's leaning so hard into this offstage persona. And it's a really cool commentary on like what happens if an artist has too much say in a movie about themselves. Uh, it's so weird. There's one point in this movie where I think she just straight up says the message of the movie. She talks to her girlfriend and asks if she can break up with her in a few months because it mm -hmm. would be good of the persona. Like she's about to write an album in a couple of months, but she needs to be in a sad place to write an album. So they got to break up in a couple of months so that she can write her album. And her girlfriend is like, what are you even saying? And it develops into this fight and her girlfriend walks out and then St. Vincent looks over to the documentarian and says, from now on, I need to have more control over what the other people in this film say. Mm. And her friend is like, this is a documentary. She's like, well, then maybe we should document the parts that I can control. And like, that's just, that's just the message of the movie. And it's incredible. This is like, one of the weirdest movies that I've seen this year for sure. And like the scene right after the scene I just mentioned is like a super over the top scene where her and her 40 person family that clearly doesn't exist are all hanging out, singing one of her songs on their Texas ranch. And she's like doing a bunch of farm chores that she's clearly never done. It's hilarious.
This movie is really funny. It's also like just a really good commentary on like art and fake personas. And it's really inventive. It's sort of a mockumentary, but not really. But like Mm -hmm. when I say that, I've seen movies that are sort of a mockumentary, but not really. I've never seen a movie quite like this. That's the Nowhere In, and I highly recommend it. Uh, It was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award for Best Editing, but honestly, it should have been nominated at least once at the Oscars for Best Original Song with the song The Nowhere In by St. Vincent. This is a movie that is already criminally underrated and more people need to see it. That's my number four. Well, you've sold me. I actually want to watch this now. That sounds really cool. Actually, I'm going to add that to my list. I hope that by the time I've finished my list, I have sold you on at least the majority of the movies I've talked about. That would be cool. Uh, St. Vincent. Okay. Where did I put this? Oh, okay. Yeah. Number three, The Green Knight. Friends, brothers and sisters, who can regale me and my queen with some myth? Forteo. To be honest, I don't usually like movies like this, um, but I have seen many movies that I found as, I guess, thought provoking and beautiful and like fascinating as as this one. I guess just the whole vibe of it is very, I don't know, it's like intoxicating and it's very uncomfortable to watch. If I'm going to be honest, which surprises me, like as I like easy movies to watch usually. But yeah, this this was really good. I thought. That Patel put in a great performance. I thought the director, I can't remember the director's name, David Lowry. Yeah, he was really cool. And I i mean, after reading like a lot of what he said about the movie, it sounds like, I mean, the whole process sounds fascinating. Like he's been, I think he's read about the Green Knight when he was in like elementary school. Um, and it sounds like it really impacted him from what I saw. And then like the time reading about like the, apparently the shoot was really gruesome which honestly kind of reflects in the movie. Like you can kind of feel <laughs> like it, this would have been a difficult shoot, especially given the, how low the budget was. But yeah, like I, this definitely like I left the theater and I, I, 
I was talking about this movie a lot. I, I wanted to, I was trying to get it. And honestly, even to this day, I could, I could probably read about this movie like all day or talk about it. And like, I feel like I would learn something new, even though I, I think I get it now. I definitely do now. But like, yeah, when it came out, it was just really, because that ending scene is just such a shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know. Such a great ending. It was. And it, like, yeah, I, I it's still, I think it's still up to interpretation. And I think I found my own interpretation of it. But you, you leave in like a, because it's such like a subtle scene compared to the rest of the movie. Like everything's very over dramatic, and then that scene's just very light. But then you're like, you're like, there has to be more to this, and like, yeah. Um, but really, really well done. And uh, I'm kind of surprised David Lowry's moving to do a Disney movie next. I think he's already done a Disney movie. Like he oh, has he, he will be okay. doing another one. But like I think he did the Pete's Dragon reboot. Okay, cool. I haven't seen that, so now I'm kind of scared because I, I've, I've heard it's very good. I haven't okay, seen it either. That's but cool. I've he- I've heard it's like really good. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great movie. I definitely recommend people to watch it. Um, definitely the most beautiful movie I've seen this year too. Like in I, terms of looks and cinematography and everything, this is really good. Yeah, I've mentioned that the other two movies I talked about were surreal, but like. I would say the Green Knight is also surreal, but in a different way. Like the Nowhere Inn is weird in a in terms of how it's written and presented, and like by the end you don't know what's reality and what isn't. The Green Knight throughout the whole thing is it's very dreamlike. Like I don't think what's real and what isn't matters at all in the context of the Green Knight. It's very much like it. The entire thing feels like you're experiencing, like you're having a weird dream. There's so many great shots in there that are, you know, exactly that. Like, every time I think of the Green Knight, the first things I think of are the scene where he's walking through the mountains and the scene where he jumps into the water. So that's my pick for number three, the Green Knight. What is your number three pick, Jeff? So earlier I said that thankfully there was at least one animated movie in my top five, and... uh, Here it is. Summit of the Gods. Climbing. More climbing. Always higher. And for what? First documented summit of Everest was in 1953, but it wasn't the first attempt. It's been 70 years since Mallory disappeared. If anyone found him, we'd know, all right? Hey, man, take it easy. I can explain. How about Joji? So the guy disappeared years ago and reappears just like that with Mallory's camera? If Mallory reached the summit, that changes climbing history. First man on Everest. Look, this could be big. This is a movie that's on Netflix. It is based off a manga about uh, mountaineering, but it is not an anime. It's, uh, It's actually French animation. I don't know how much that matters or how much that distinction actually matters. But anyway, I would really recommend this movie. Summit of the Gods is essentially the plot of this concerns two mountaineering rivals, both of whom are trying to climb increasingly difficult mountains. One of them is just like, he takes mountaineering very seriously and he wants to like climb increasingly difficult mountains because that's literally the only time he feels alive. The other guy is weirdly enough kind of in mountaineering for the fame and because he's good at it. And at one point, they meet up, and the the first guy that I had mentioned, he is talking about going up this this like big mountain in Japan, 
and he talks about his strategy of how to do it. And then he goes, hey, so why did you want to know this? And the other Mountaineer is like, so I can do it first. And he goes and does it. And that kicks off their rivalry for the rest of their lives, ultimately culminating in both uh, trying mm. to climb a very difficult face of Mount Everest. I think it's the south face. The south face. But what really kicks off the specific, not the plot, but what kicks off like the framing device for this movie is uh, a, a journalist gets a lead that someone may potentially have acquired a camera that was used by the first person to scale Mount Everest or in the 1900s. And he didn't make it all the way up and back down. He died along the journey somewhere, but no one really knows exactly where. Like, did he make it to the top? We don't know, because we don't know if he died on the way up or on the way down. So he finds, he finds out mm. that someone may have... Uh, may have found the camera and he goes looking for this camera and it leads him to this mountaineering rivalry. And so using that camera as a framing device, kind of similar to the way that Citizen Kane is laid out actually, because in Citizen Kane, you have Charles Foster Kane dies and then a journalist goes around interviewing important people from his life to try and piece together Charles Foster Kane's life. Similarly to that, Summit of the Gods goes around. It's about this journalist who, in trying to find this camera, pieces together the life of this of these mountaineering rivals on their way up Everest. The Citizen Kane comparison isn't fully accurate. Like, it doesn't play out the exact same way. That framing device is similar. And this movie is... I, I think that, like, this movie warrants it. It is very, very good. It finally culminates in the main character's climbing Mount Everest in a scene that is very close to being just wordless, like beautiful animation and just no narration, just watching people go up Everest. And it's these incredible landscapes, this like wonderful soundscape. And they're just sort of going up and I guess contemplating life. Like it's all about trying to figure out what drives these mountaineers. And ultimately it's sort of beautiful in that it's like a meditation on, I mean, the meaning of life, like what makes people tick, yeah. whether or not anything actually has any purpose. Sure, it's probably, it's very easy for me to just ascribe those platitudes essentially to just about any movie, but like it, it does happen in this movie. And this movie is a really, it's a really interesting look into the minds of these people who are doing extreme sports because that's just what they do. Like what drives them? What drives a man to climb a mountain? You know? It's very good. And it's on Netflix. I guess he wanted exercise. That's what I got. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's super fit. Yeah, I guess you'd have to be. Okay, my number two is uh, Free Guy. Good morning, Goldie. My name is Guy, and I live in Free City. I have everything I need. Except one thing. Me. Hey. hey, bud, you ever think that there's got to be more? More than what? The stuff we do day after day. Literally not once. Today's going to be different, Goldie. This is what I mentioned. Okay, well, I, I actually mentioned this is a year for a lot of surprises. Um, I mean, Venom 2 really surprised me. And I think this movie really surprised me a lot. I thought I would hate this movie. Like, completely. I saw the trailer and I was like, this just looks like... 
a really bad rehash of the Lego movie, but with Ryan Reynolds, which I'm kind of, I was kind of tired of Ryan Reynolds at the time, not going to lie. And this movie brought me right back in. I thought it was a really, I mean, there's some cringy parts that I, I like some of the Twitch references and stuff. I never like seeing those in movies. I, I never think that works out in like a, a non-cringy way, but everything else, I mean, it had so much heart and it had surprisingly deep philosophical like traits in it. And I thought like Ryan Reynolds gave a really charismatic performance. I thought the a lot of like what they were able to do with this movie specifically was I don't want to say, but like they they played a lot with like the video game element, I guess. And uh, I mean, I, I guess like it being a Disney movie too. I love the ending with the Star Wars and and Captain America stuff. I thought that stuff was really cool. I'm not gonna lie, and it was just, it's just a really fun movie, and it made me very happy and not many movies just legit just make me happy and this movie was one of them it's just a very feel-good movie and and it made me like ryan reynolds again even though this is a very ryan reynoldsy movie it's just yeah it's just really fun and warm and makes you believe in a better future for humanity you know so <laughs> it's, uh yeah it's it's definitely one of my top picks and again i i think i think part of why i liked it so much was because i expected so little of it um so that definitely i think helped as well but yeah I, I really like this movie. It, it felt more summer blockbustery than like most summer blockbusters this year did. Yeah, it did. You're right. I mean, I, I think we're, we're embracing like blockbusters are sort of embracing more happy stuff again. But I mean, like, I think like after the dark night, I think a lot of blockbuster movies just became darker in general um, mm-hmm. from that success. And I think, yeah, you're right. This, this definitely, this felt like just a fun blockbuster movie that we don't actually get that often mm-hmm. and again it wasn't just like fun fun like i think like a movie like venom was just stupid fun you know but like this actually like it made you feel things like i felt very sad when uh i mean, i'm just thinking guy. about guy yeah i'm stupid it was guy yeah i'm now i feel really stupid <laughs> when guy loses like his best friend and stuff or that scene where he realizes he's not you know real where it was was really in like I felt I felt there, you know, and I think the resolution to all the character arcs was really well done as well. So yeah, good movie. Thank you, Ryan Reynolds and whoever directed this. I'm sorry, I can't remember. I don't know I their name. Wish I could remember. Yeah. Uh, what's your number two? So I listen to a lot of CBC. So shout outs to the CBC. Please hire me. I think I can host a podcast. So just you know, if you wanna if you wanna hire me, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> I'm, I'm your guy. Anyway, I listened to a lot of CBC, and uh, during the summer, um, while TIFF was going on, while Toronto International Film Festival was going on, and they had online movies available, I heard an interview with Kenny Gorlick, best known as Kenny G by the general public. He's a saxophone player. I'm sure that you probably are familiar with him. If you're not familiar with Kenny G, here's a just a little bit of Songbird. Now that we're back, now that you've heard a little bit of Songbird, that's Kenny G. I heard an interview with him on uh, on the radio, and he just seemed like a swell guy. And the reason that he was being interviewed was that there was a documentary coming out about him called Listening to Kenny G, which is just about his career. And I was like, you know what? 
Kenny G sounds like a swell guy. Listening to Kenny G sounds like a swell film. I'm going to give that a try. So I tried to get tickets at the Toronto International Film Festival. However, by the time I did, it was actually completely sold out at the Toronto International Film Festival. More importantly, I don't think sold out is the right word. Uh, there were no further showings. Like, it, it was just too late. So instead, I went to the Camden International Film Festival in Maine and uh, got myself a ticket for listening to Kenny G. And my God, this movie is incredible. It is, first off... First off, it's just the best music documentary I've personally ever seen. Uh, and secondly, like, never in a million years would I have thought that a documentary would be in my top five because I tend to, I don't, I don't want to say not like documentaries, but they're not a type of movie that I, gra- that I gravitate to. But listening to Kenny G is really something else. Mm. He's just sort of part of the musical furniture of American culture. It's just wallpaper. With Kenny G's music, what can you say? How are you feeling? Underappreciated, in general. I don't think there's anything wrong with hard work. That's a hard lick, and I just played it really well. Putting in the reps, and then reaping the reward of, hey, I'm really good at this. I think that's why my career's lasted this long. The fact of the matter is, Kenny G in the 1990s was one of the most well-known musicians on this planet. Somebody asked me, what kind of music do you do? Is it jazz? I don't know. You might think it might be jazz. Well, is it pop? I don't know. You might think it might be pop. He was having a huge impact on defining what jazz is, even though the jazz community were looking at his music with disdain. These are songs from my heart. This is the way I just hear it. They think I've decided to play these kind of songs because I knew they would sell well. If only I was that smart. So first off, this is directed by a person named Penny Lane, who... Many people will probably remember for her last documentary, Hail Satan, which unfortunately I didn't see, but it's, um, a, it's a documentary about the Church of Satan, and it really stood out with a lot of people, one, for the subject matter, but two, because it's, she's got a really good style, and she brings that really well to uh, this Kenny G documentary. Listening to Kenny G, it starts off with literally one minute of Penny Lane in front of the camera going, hey, so... Kenny G, a lot of people like him, a lot of people hate him. I don't know why people have such strong feelings on him. So I wanted to find out. And and then that's it. She just says, so I wanted to find out. And then she goes to interview Kenny G and she interviews like a bunch of people who can speak intelligently about Kenny G. And it's a really interesting documentary. So first off, it features just interviews with Kenny G talking about his entire life, basically going from when he was in a high school band all the way to today and like the different steps that he's had along the way. It's got that standard, the standard interviews you would expect. He goes like they, they film him going to his old high school and like all sorts of this kind of stuff. But the thing that I really, really liked about it, I guess one thing I really liked about it, the, the interviews with Kenny G are intercut with a really, really, really good selection of experts Like she brings in people who can talk about jazz from an academic sense, who are like lifelong jazz musicians, people who are like pop music historians. She brings in like actual experts um, in just about every field that could possibly be related to Kenny G and has them talk fully without judgment about like, do they like Kenny G? Why? Why not? And she's able to elicit 
really thoughtful responses from all of these people. The ones that I like the most are the people who vehemently hate Kenny G <laughs> and can tell you why in like, uh, like very eloquent language that also like not only informs you as to why they don't like Kenny G, but also like teaches you about the history of jazz and why Kenny G does or does not fit into it and where he fits into it. So this is like a really educational movie. Not only did I learn a lot about Kenny G, I don't think I've ever learned so much about jazz or as I did from watching this movie, which is as most people in this movie would like tell you about a person who is not, who does not fit into the landscape of jazz. Almost every expert will say Kenny G is not jazz and here's why. And so while they're saying this and while we're learning the history of Kenny G, we're also learning about the history of jazz and like the wider context. And like, it's just the best hour and a half music education lecture I think I've ever seen. And of course it goes into a lot of like, it's got a lot of funnier anecdotes. Kenny G ends the movie with, uh, or near the end of the movie, he talks about songs that he's just never released to anybody and probably won't anytime soon but he's like i could score an entire film and in fact i already have the film would be uh it's a christopher nolan movie and he's talking about a german a german general we'll call it the german general and i have the entire score just sitting around like if you want if christopher nolan wants me to score his movie i don't even have to make any new music here's the whole thing and i just have that stored away and like there's another anecdote about how important one single Kenny G song called Going Home is in China, of all places. Apparently, it's like, it's so ubiquitous in China that it's just played in certain cities at five o'clock at the end of the workday. Anyway, there's a lot of cool anecdotes. But more importantly, I think that this is just like, it's one of the best and most informational documentaries I've ever seen. And it is the best music documentary I've ever seen, hands down. And yes, for those of you listening, I have seen the other big music documentary this year. This one's better. Is it the Beatles one? I heard the Beatles one wasn't that good. No, I was talking about Summer of Soul, which oh, is good. Never mind. It's very good. But it's I think that the subject matter of Summer of Soul is more interesting than the actual movie. Oh. But again, I don't want to be negative. I want to be positive. <laughs> yeah. And what I want to say positively is that listening to Kenny G is absolutely worth anyone's time. If you're in Canada, it's on Crave. If you're in the United States, it's on HBO Max. If you're elsewhere, I'm sure you can also watch it. I just don't know where. Cool. I haven't. I've, I've definitely heard of Kenny G. I've never. I don't think I've ever heard him actually perform. But I know he's like a legendary musician. So actually, the only thing I've heard, I know he was on. He was on uh, Kanye's "Jesus Is King" album, where he does like a cool saxophone solo, which I really liked. But yeah, I should definitely check more of him out. Um, and I'm uh, going to add that movie to my list now because you have inspired me once more, Joe. Heck yes. This time, I want you to inspire me. I want oh, you no. to tell me. <laughs> I don't think I will. <laughs> what your number one movie is. Oh, uh, well, it's Spider-Man. <laughs> Do you know a Peter Parker who's Spider-Man? Yes. Is that him? No. Can you please explain what is going on? After I shut that spell down, we started getting visitors from every universe. Multiverse is real. I need you to capture them before they destroy the fabric of reality. Mama needs some help. You guys ready? Let's catch some multiverse men. 
Spider-Man No Way Home. What was your name again? Dr. Otto Octavius. <laughs> Seriously, what's your actual name? I don't I don't nice. know if that inspires you. I mean, we just talked about it, so it's really weird to talk about now, but it just it blew me away. I had a lot of doubts going into it. I didn't think they'd be able to pull it off, um, but they did. It was probably the most fun, I guess, movie experience I've had in the theaters. I mean, in a long time, just like it was not only is it, like a great movie, but it, it definitely the experience of going back to the theaters in such a plentiful way. Like I haven't been to a packed theater like that in a long time. And just having, seeing everyone be excited and like lining up. I haven't had to line up for a movie in forever. I had to line up for this movie for a bit and just, you know, being with the audience and everyone laughing and being sad and cheering when the various characters showed up was really cool. I mean, I I guess this is just a very good era for Spider-Man in general. Um, Lots of good Spider-Man content out there. But yeah, this really surprised me as probably being my favorite, one of my favorite movies ever, honestly. And uh, I guess I'm excited to see where they go from here. But yeah, also like so much Spider-Man stuff, like the Spider-Man video game was really good. Into the Spider-Verse is really good. And this movie was good. I hope there's like a, I know they're coming out with a Spider-Man TV show now. I don't have a lot of faith in that, if I'm going to be honest, but we'll see. I mean, Spider-Man TV shows have historically been good so far. So I'm hoping that this one's fine. I I haven't liked the recent ones, I guess, Um, which is unfortunate. But but yeah, I mean, like the Into the Spider-Verse and the Spider-Man video game and this movie are like three of the best Spider-Man content pieces we've had like ever, in my opinion. And having them all happen within like three years of each other is really cool. So yeah, good time to be a Spider-Man fan. Not going to lie. I have only seen this movie once and I really want to see it again. And I'm, I'm really glad that you liked it as much as you did because we've talked about it a lot today specifically because uh, a little behind the scenes, we recorded our last episode immediately before this basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like hearing you gush so much about Spider-Man, I think I will try and go see it again in the theater. I got to find like a time that ends up being convenient, but I'm going to try and go see it again in the theater and, I think it'll be there for a while. So hopefully I'll be able to do that. Well, I kind of had to, like the first time I watched it, I was really like drained, like emotionally. Because same thing with like Infinity War and Endgame. Like I didn't really know what to think the first time. So like the second time just kind of let me like, I guess, understand the movie more. Like it wasn't just like shocking, I guess, to watch. So yeah, that's why I like helps. Like I had to see Infinity War a second time to really appreciate it. And same thing with Endgame. Actually, no, Endgame I liked the first time. I take it back. Oh, and also the Willem Dafoe's performance is my favorite of the year. That too. I wanted to say that. Anyways, what's Absolutely. what's your number one movie, Jeff? So your number one was straight up one of the most exciting movies of the year. Like, not just the hype around it. When you're sitting in that theater, it's like a con- not a constant adrenaline rush, but it's so close. Like, it's there's so there's action. It's really exciting. There's so much happening, so many characters, but all of them are done really well. My number one movie of the year is very slow. It's three hours. It's mostly people sitting in rooms talking, but it's really good. It's extremely thorough, and I know I've said earlier earlier in this list that I really like it when directors are not subtle at all. This is the opposite. This is the most subtle movie on my list, and it's number one. This is a movie we may talk about at some point. It depends. Probably not, but it is. it has very good odds at the Oscars for Best International Feature. That movie is Drive My Car. Yes. 
妻を亡くし喪失を抱えて生きる男とある過去を持つドライバーの女私はあの車が好きですとても大事にされているのがわかるので僕がお父さんから聞いた話をしてもいいですかどこでもいいから走らせてくれないか孤独な二人が旅の果てに見つけたものとはドライブマイカー It's three hours long from Japan and as I said it's mostly people sitting around talking about things It's about a theater director so not like a movie director, theater director, who is putting on a multilingual performance of the play Uncle Vanya. And when I say multilingual, the interesting thing about his performance is instead of being just in English or just in Japanese or just in any particular language, uh, he just lets all of the actors speak their native language. So, for example, in his version of Uncle Vanya, one character speaks Mandarin Chinese Two characters speak Japanese, two characters I think speak Filipino, and one character speaks Korean Sign Language. It's really in- it's a really interesting way of staging a play in the first place because normally I know it's, I've heard the sentence a lot that acting is reacting. And what his form of directing does is it actually removes the ability of actors to even react because it's so. Focused on getting the flow of the lines right because if you're an actor in his play, you probably can't understand the other actors in the play because they are speaking a different language. So you have to know the play by heart and you have to know everything because you're reacting to what they're saying but in a different language. So it's like you have to nail the exact timing and the exact flow. It's a really weird way of putting on a play, but it's very interesting. Anyway, the movie mostly concerns. Him being hired to do this play and then casting his actors and going through several rehearsals until the play finally happens. And throughout that time, it's very, I guess it's kind of slice of life because it talks, it, it shows a lot of him. He has a rivalry with a young actor, so it shows a lot of him and that actor's relationship. It shows him dealing with the death of his wife, which happens one hour into the movie, but right after that happens, like the opening credits roll and you see the title. So I really don't think that's spoiling anything. <laughs> wait, are you saying, wait, so the opening credits happen an hour into the movie? That w e said, wow, that's really cool. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's really strange. Anyway, this movie is, it's, it's very subtle because I, I would say that there's a lot of just really interesting choices in this movie. One of them is that all of the inciting incidents, every time something very important happens that would, in another movie, like be an action scene, like I'm just going to say as an example, if someone were to get beat up, you would see the person getting beat up. If like two people were to get in a fight, you would see that fight happen. In this movie, not important. What's important is what happens after that. So, like, there's a very important event near the end that has consequences. For the rest of the movie, and we don't see it because our main character doesn't see it.、Uh, he doesn't experience that event, and the only thing that it matters to him is all of the consequences of that that he doesn't see. So, this is an event that happens entirely off screen.、Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting for how it like fully commits to this one character's perspective of the world. And how he's dealing with everything in it. It's just a beautiful piece of character writing. It's like 
an incredible character study of this one guy. And of course, all of the other characters are so well written as well that like they kind of all have their own character studies, like beyond just arcs, except it's really just about him and it very it focuses very much on that one character. Like I said, this movie is incredibly subtle. Like a lot of this movie is long soliloquies of um, characters just kind of talking at each other. Like there's one character whose entire point is that she tells a lot of stories and then the stories that she tells get retold later. And these are clearly like deeply meaningful stories. What I like about this movie a lot, one of the things I like about this movie a lot is it's three hours of people sitting in, uh, sitting in cars talking to each other. But like at no point did I tune out and I don't feel like, I don't think I could. Like it's very, one, it's very important to pay attention to everything in this movie. But like I was fully engrossed just in like what the conversations were that were going on. Yeah, I originally saw this movie online during Toronto International Film Festival, and I was lucky enough to see it in person when I went to, when I, when I got to Toronto. And like, even at three hours and moving rather slowly, I thought that this was one of the best cinematic experiences of this year. And I would definitely recommend to anyone who can, it's probably too late now because it came out several months ago and it had an extremely limited release in most places. If you can, I definitely recommend seeing this one in the theater. And if you can't, I recommend seeing it as soon as you can. It's, it's just really good. I hope that wasn't a huge downer after Spider-Man because (laughs) I don't, I don't know how to describe this movie to make it sound exciting because it's really good, but it's not like it doesn't have a lot of action. It's really just like, a really good script performed really well. Mm, that's cool. Yeah, it sounds like the antithesis to to my pick, which is perfect. It, it kind of is in like a like a whole full circle type of way. I don't know. I now I want to watch this movie too. I wish it was a little more fresh in my mind because I wrote a review for this movie that is on Letterboxd on my account, letterboxd.com/slash/gotenbergtown that I'm really proud of. But I don't want to just sit here and read the whole review. I just kind of wish that I... I wish now that I had just watched this movie so that I could, you know, have a similar revelation here live on air. Mm. But unfortunately, I am not able to do that. That would have been cool, yeah. Well, that, I guess that's that's all the movies. This has been our year in review. Pierre, what do you think of... Uh, I don't know. Got any closing thoughts? What do you think of 2021, of our picks? Have I convinced you on any of yeah, them? Yeah, it definitely or... convinced me on a couple. I, I really want to see that that documentary when you met the St. Vincent one, I think. That sounds really interesting. The Nowhere In is the mockumentary, and Listening to Kenny G is the actual documentary. But oh, sorry. Music, yeah, yeah. Obviously. yeah. Um, I like the mockumentary aspect. But yeah, I'm definitely going to check out a few of these movies. As you can tell, a lot of my picks are just movies we've seen like <laughs> for the podcast because I haven't been perusing too much. But thank you for for these picks. And I will uh, enthusiastically watch them and pick in the near future, I hope. I am really happy that you liked the the movies that you did. I wish there were any of them that I hadn't already seen because then I would also say, yeah, I've seen seen them all. Yeah, (laughs) we we saw them together usually. Uh, But yeah. I, I mean, I will say like the things that were on my list are ones that I kind of assumed we probably won't talk about at length on episodes coming up. And that's part of the reason I want to talk about them right now. 
But of course, you know, maybe you will see some of these and maybe you will have a lot to say. And then maybe those can be new episodes. Hopefully. So we'll see. Yeah. But I guess this was a good year. Thank you for for a good 2021. You're welcome. I made it myself. Yeah. Good job. Good job, Jeff. Very proud of you. I mean, I think either way, I hope this year is much better for movies, I guess, if that makes sense. I hope so. But we'll see. I uh, don't know what I'm looking forward to this year yet. Oh, I mean, there's a Doctor Strange movie directed by Sam Raimi, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, I think uh, there's actually a few, like Doctor Strange, Thor, I'm really excited for. Uh, the Batman, oh, yeah. I think, is going to be, I hope, going to oh. be really big for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't think of any other ones, actually. None of the really big directors, I feel like, have... I mean, a lot of the big directors have released stuff recently, I guess, but, like, they're not... Nothing's really hit, if that makes sense. Oh, you know what? Darren Aronofsky has a movie coming out this year. Oh, okay. That, that might be cool. The Whale with Brendan Fraser. And Martin Scorsese has another movie coming out this year, too. Killers of the Flower Moon with oh, Brendan Fraser. and Leonardo DiCaprio. And Leonardo DiCaprio. That, that sounds cool, actually. I like that. You know what? This might be the year when we finish our uh, Losing It Over Leo series. Oh, yeah. We finished the story arc we wanted to tell, but like there's plenty of movies left to talk about. And we have like we've we've discussed in the past how to talk about those movies. Maybe we can do that this year. Are we skipping Don't Look Up? Is that going to be a Leo movie or? Oh, we have to. It's we have to do a new Leo episode every time a new movie. Okay, I guess Don't Look Up will be coming out possibly i don't know when we're recording this like i guess a little behind the scenes we have not recorded that yet but i don't know when this episode is exactly coming out it's possible that people have already heard our don't look up episode whoa that's really trippy it's it's weird to talk about the past the future and have it be the past i think that makes sense it's like some tenant <laughs> stuff going on jeff what's so, the last word Oh, well, I'm not quite at our last word yet, but I'll say several last words. (laughs) This is kind of the end of Classic Movies Live in 2021. Obviously, this is coming out early 2022, and it's not the end of our season three yet, because we're going to go at least all the way up through the Oscars. We'll see about after that. And um, so, yeah, join us next week. I don't know what we'll be talking about next week yet, but we've got like three months to talk about everything going into the Oscars. And unfortunately, I don't think they announced the nominations until three weeks before. So we're going to do a lot of guessing. Hopefully we guess right a couple of times. Hopefully. <laughs> I guess that yeah, was the last word. Now I'm going to make you say the last word. Oh, word. <laughs> oh, 2021. There you go. That's a good word. 